Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Shopping for insurance is a mind-numbing process that can take forever, but you can get a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have with Gabby. Gabby gives you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. Just link your current insurance account, and you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. If they can't find you savings, they'll let you know, so you can relax knowing that you already have the best rate out there. Gabby is free to use, and they'll never sell your info, so no annoying spam or robocalls. I took two minutes. I went to Gabby.com garage, and I typed in my information. I received nine different quotes, and guess what? Some of them were going to cost me a little more, but most of them were saving me hundreds of dollars. Take two minutes right now to see how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance. Go to Gabby.com garage. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash garage. Gabby dot com slash garage. See how much you can save with Gabby. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man whose baloney has a last name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. He is the captain. Yeah, my baloney brings all the girls to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. All right, Hopheads, today we are sipping on Easy Eddie from Big Grove Brewery. Featuring Mosaic and Simcoe hops, this hazy IPA is juicy with a brilliant gold color, and it's unfiltered. I love unfiltered beers. This is a 2019 U.S. Open Beer Championship gold medal winner garage grade for and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And gold medals go out to our great garage supporters first up. 
Cheers to Jenna in Vancouver, British Columbia. And a big shout out to Sandra in Demers, Georgia. Next up, we have Robin in Greenville, Indiana. And believe it or not, Michelle from Greenville, Tennessee. And we have Anne and Chris from Brexville, Ohio. And last but certainly not least, we have Avery from Springdale, Arkansas. Avery and his father are longtime listeners of TCG. And it makes sense, too, because we have covered many Arkansas cases. So cheers to Avery and his father. And cheers to everyone for putting some beer in the fridge for us this week. And this week, instead of beer fund money, we are asking for a big favor. We need some more reviews on iTunes. So if you have two seconds, hit the five stars on iTunes to submit. Or if you have 10 seconds, type something nice about the captain or something mean about the colonel. But seriously, the five-star reviews really help our little garage show. I love when I see a five-star review. They they ranked five stars, but then the comment was nasty. <laughs> so you <laughs> feel free to do that all day long about this little show. If you would like to become a resident of Parts Unknown, we're going to do a special week-long pre-order of the Parts Unknown shirt. So if you want to get one of those, go over to the website, truecrimegarage.com, and that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Long-time listeners of this fine program will know that one of the tactics I would certainly use in any of these investigations is what I like to call the old pervert roundup, and that is exactly what law enforcement did. Investigators tracked down approximately 10 registered sex offenders living in Evansdale, and all were cleared by police. But according to CNN, there were 200 registered sex offenders in a 10 mile radius this is scary stuff yeah the town of waterloo has did, wait did you make sure that there wasn't a prison i i did okay. the town of waterloo has one registered sex offender for every 236 residents for comparison purposes evansdale has a registered sex offender for every 484 residents overall the DCI says it looked into over 300 sex offenders to date throughout the investigation. Investigators had a hard time figuring out exactly how the girls were abducted. Where the bikes were left was quite far from their house and was not in an area cars could travel on. Further, the girls' sense had seemed to lead into the woods. How had a predator or predators managed to get control of two girls silently and sight unseen in broad daylight? Yeah, but we've, we've talked about this many times. Normally, I'm going to guess that it's by threat of violence. I show you a gun. I show you a knife. You're a little kid. It's not going to be that hard for me to 
uh, you know, most little kids are not going to think, hey, I could take off running right now, or maybe I can scream or I could do something. You're going to see that gun. And once that threat is made now, that perpetrator's in control. Yeah. And what you have to wonder about too is, do you take that a step further and say, were they lured to a vehicle perhaps by someone they knew and trusted? And there was no reason for them to scream or run away. Right. I think that's your second option. The other thought too, had they been grabbed from another location, perhaps along a road, alongside a road, which would make sense. And then the bikes left by their abductor on the trail and the dogs are just mistaken or confused. Well, and we talked about this a little off the record was the idea that what if the perpetrator had a truck or had uh, a truck with maybe a cap on it? where he got the girls, got control of the girls. They're now in his vehicle. He has the their bikes, but now mm-hmm. he's afraid that once he takes off, that m- maybe somebody sees the bikes in the back of his truck. Here's the other thing to consider as well. Staying along the idea that it was a stranger abduction, could we have a situation where they were somewhat targeted? Meaning, had someone been watching the two girls? As we said, this bike ride was pretty routine. They were out riding together often, and I would imagine it would be roughly about the same time of day. Mm-hmm. So did somebody put together a you know a carefully planned attack, a snatch and grab of these two girls, especially if they were following them and then followed them all the way to the lake? That might have presented the opportunity the perpetrator was looking for. Mm-hmm. There were a rash of child abduction attempts throughout Iowa in 2012. The following reports appeared in various media publications, and I'll kind of go through these one at a time, Captain, and you just kind of jump in where you see fit. May 19, 2012, authorities say they were looking for a man suspected in the attempted abduction of three girls on the west side of Perry, Iowa. Perry police say the man stopped his car about 8 p.m. Friday, and asked the girls ages eight and nine for directions to a convenience store. He then tried to get the girls into the car, asking for them to show him the way, show him the directions. Police say the girls ran to a neighbor's house, thankfully. On June 6th of that same year, Metro Police are teaming up with following a string of attempted child abductions in the Des Moines, Iowa area. Note, this is like 125 miles away from Evansdale, but I, I, I want to go through some of these as we, as we can here. The most recent of these attempts happened in Pleasant Hill on May 23rd of that year. Police say a man in a SUV tried to lure a young girl into his vehicle. In the same article, they're talking about Waukee police were investigating an incident that happened around the same date. There were two girls. They say they were followed by an SUV. In June, parents in Forest City, Iowa, were notified of two abduction attempts. In one of them, the driver of a tan panel work-style van stopped three children on bicycles on North 8th Street and told them he was going to get them. The children ran away and the driver drove off. Seems like we need another stranger danger campaign through this country i mean with all these creeps and all these pieces of shit to teach these kids one stay away run away run to the nearest house yell for help 
Well, what I always find interesting in these situations is when you do have some a child or children who actually go missing and then the thought is abduction, you'll see these little stories in the newspapers, in the local newspapers, and they are just that. They are little tiny stories because they don't know much about the offender. They don't really fully know what the offender was attempting to do, mm-hmm. the actual crimes they were attempting to carry out. But it's scary stuff, and they're really just delivering a little short warning to the community and to the parents in the area. What happens once you have a child who actually goes missing, these stories all start to cycle back through the news because now you have people making connections, and you're going, all right, there's a shark in the water, and he's over here swimming around in this area, and look, try to get somebody here and try to get somebody there. Uh, In the same article, Captain... They are going all the way back to March of that year where they say the police department investigated a possible attempt to abduct a 10-year-old boy. The boy who was in front of his home said he was approached by an Asian male, approximately 50 years old, with a thin face. The suspect was driving an older gray van, possibly with Iowa license plates. The man reportedly tried to lure the boy into his van after asking for directions to a church. Whether these... Attempts could have been the same person who took Elizabeth and Lyric is almost certainly something that police in Evansdale would have been considering at the time. On the four-month anniversary of the disappearance, a letter appeared in the newspaper and it read, To whom it may concern, we would use your name, but we don't know who you are, or maybe we do. Maybe you are someone who knows the girls. Maybe you are someone who just acted upon impulse. Maybe you had planned to take them. We don't know because we don't know who you are. But we can sort of imagine that you must not have had the things you needed to grow up feeling safe and loved. Because only someone who hurts inside would hurt another person and their family. We've all heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. We believe this to be true. We are so sorry for what happened to you when you were growing up. Certainly, all children do not receive all the love and care they deserve. Some are even abused by those who are supposed to have taken care of them. When that happens, it is very wrong. Taking the girls from us has caused much pain, pain for them, pain for us and our families. Since the time you took them, maybe you've wondered more than a few times how you could ever make it right, how to be a hero, not a monster. Things probably look pretty hopeless for a good outcome. We want you to know that we are praying for you to do the right thing. By releasing the girls, everyone wins, even you, the person who took them. Imagine how it will feel to have everyone remember that you were the one person in all the missing children cases, the one person who cared enough to let the girls go. You will not be remembered as the one who took the girls, but as the one who let them come home. Our lives have not been the same since July 13th. Please let our girls come home to us. Do the right thing. Be a hero. 
sincerely, and it's signed by both of the families. Well, and then we're going to learn that that's not an option anymore to return the girls because the girls would be found. Yeah, this takes place on December 5th of that same year, 2012. The family, they get the phone call that they were really hoping not to get. The family was told that two bodies had been found, and at that time they believed them to be the girls. Three hunters found two small corpses in Seven Bridges Wildlife Park in Brimmer County, north of Evansdale. This was a totally off-the-grid 166-acre wildlife area about 22 miles from Myers Lake, 22 miles from where the bikes were found. Mm -hmm. The area was not one that someone would just stumble upon. It was frequented mostly by hunters, ATV riders, fishermen, you know, outdoor people. Yeah, this wasn't uh, the type of park that you would just take your kids for a hike. This was, like you said, more for hunters and fishermen. ATV riders. And to kind of clue everybody in that's not from that area, when I see these types of statements, it really it really puts it into perspective for me what kind of place, what kind of area we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is also an area where people would drive and dump appliances. You know how you see things that, that are just dumped, that are unwanted, that they have no other idea of how to get rid of them. Right. They just dumped these appliances out in the middle of nowhere. So, and, and this is also a place that pretty much only the locals know about. You wouldn't know about it if you weren't from that area. I mean, you could find it on a map, but as said, it's, it's very much like you just described. It's only going to be frequented by people that are specifically intending to go to that area for the purpose of hunting or fishing. Now, some locals used to use the area as a party spot. So if you were local, you were aware, uh, particularly high school kids, you know, kids out looking for a place to drink some beers. The bodies were found by hunters making their way through the brush near a river. The hunters nearly stepped on one of the corpses. The two corpses were lying about 20 yards apart from one another. Blackhawk County Sheriff Tony Thompson said even the hunters You know, in describing this area, he says, even these hunters, if they had just gone five feet in either direction, they would have never found those bodies. Mm -hmm. The area where the bodies lay was accessible only by one road. This is 270th Street. This road had a dirt road off of it that went a short distance to a dirt parking area and a turnout near the riverbank. The bodies were found about 150 feet from this turnout in the woods. The whole place is incredibly desolate. The kind of place where you could go and know that you're not going to see any other human beings. The Iowa State Medical Examiner's Office confirmed after autopsies that the remains were in fact that of Lyric and Elizabeth. The medical examiner was able to determine a cause of death, but this has never been released by law enforcement. Law enforcement made statements to the effect that details surrounding the cause of death would be known only to the killer. And Evansdale Police Chief Kent Smock said investigators had an idea of how much time passed between the girl's disappearance and when they were killed. However, he would not release that detail to the public. Investigators have also never addressed whether they have 
suspect DNA in this case. Although, given that the bodies were exposed to the elements for what could be close to five months, DNA recovery could be difficult. Drew Collins has stated that he was never informed whether DNA of anyone other than the girls was found, and the family chose not to learn how the girls were killed. Well, I think the important information that they're putting out there is we know roughly when they were abducted and we roughly know when they were killed. Yes, yes, very much so. And then one of the more famous leads in this case, Captain, this comes about on July 24th, 2013, and there's some different parts to this lead. Um, I actually think they had a good amount of this information in advance, but this is when we become aware of it. This is almost a year to the date of when the two girls were abducted. The authorities announced that they received information from three witnesses who saw a vehicle that could be important to the case. All three witnesses reported seeing a large and clunky white SUV, an older model, likely a Chevy Suburban or Ford Bronco, parked on Arbutus Avenue on Friday, July 13th. Arbutus Avenue is crossed by the Evansdale Nature Trail and is the road that is closest to the part of the trail where the girls' bikes were found. Two of these witnesses said that they saw the white SUV parked between two bike trail signs, and the other witness told police they saw the vehicle parked near the woods on the east side of the lake, a few hundred feet from where the girls' bikes were found. Right, but that... That would be where the scent dogs took investigators. Yeah, roughly the same area. What made these witness statements so intriguing was that all three witnesses said they seen the SUV sometime between 11.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. on the day the girls went missing. And if you recall, the cyclist, my boy Ted G., mm-hmm. told police he had seen the bikes on the trail sometime between sometime around 1220. So this whole time period is all really fitting together. Two of the witnesses made their statements as part of the original police canvassing. The third came forward months later, having assumed that someone had already reported it. This third report caused police to go back and re-examine the other two statements about the SUV and decide that it was likely very important to the case. But it's unknown whether the public release of this information regarding the white SUV dredged up any further helpful tips. In 2013, the year after Lyric and Elizabeth were murdered, Iowa investigators were alerted to another double abduction of two girls. On May 20th, 12-year-old Desiree Hughes and her 15-year-old friend Kathleen Shepard were abducted while walking home from school. This is around 4 p.m. in the afternoon in Dayton, Iowa. They got into a vehicle with a man who offered to pay them to mow lawns, but he just keeps driving with them and eventually taking control of the two girls by waving a gun while they're in the vehicle. Mm Mm-hmm. This item was actually described as a gun to be a gun, but... Later, we would learn that this instrument was actually used to euthanize livestock. Mm -hmm. 
Their abductor, Michael Clunder, drove around for about 90 minutes and then took the two to a hog processing facility where he worked at the time. He zip-tied their hands. He then left one of the girls in his truck and he dragged the other girl off into places unknown. Right. The girl in the truck, she bravely escaped the vehicle and hid out in the woods before approaching a nearby home and then asking them to call for help. Around 8 p.m., police located Clunder's truck at a nearby property where they found that Clunder had hung himself. Yeah, I believe that he wasn't that far from his truck. And I think at some point he came back to check on the other girl and she was gone. And that's when he knew, oh, game's up. You know, I got to do whatever I'm going to do. Plus, I got to take my own life. Yeah, Desiree was the girl who bravely escaped. And unfortunately, when police, when they find Clunder, who had hung himself, Kathleen Shepard is nowhere to be seen. No. There was a significant amount of blood, which they believe to be hers, that was found on his truck. Her body was found uh, sometime later by fishermen, about 15 to 20 miles down the Des Moines River. Mm -hmm. She had been stabbed and beaten to death by a sharp instrument. Michael Clunder, who was a six-foot, six-inch-tall, 42-year-old farmhand, he had already served time in prison from 1992 to 2011. This was half of the sentence that he received for the 1991 kidnapping and assault of a young woman. He grabbed her, hit her, and pulled her into his car. In an unrelated case, Clunder abducted two three-year-old twin girls. This is like the strange one of the strangest stories I've ever heard who were later found in a trash receptacle. These were the daughters. They were alive, thank God. These were the daughters of a female acquaintance. Clunder said he was angry with one of the little girls, so he kidnapped them, drove 50 miles with them in his trunk, mm -hmm. and then left them in the garbage. One of the girls did show signs of possibly having been choked. Clunder completed a sex offender treatment program in prison and registered as a sex offender upon his release. Yeah, but you shouldn't be serving half your sentence. You, it should always be a little more than that. Or let's make the sentences a little bit longer if you're only going to have to serve half of them. Yeah, there should be like no good behavior for this man. Yeah, I mean, this He's shown guy, nothing but bad behavior. This guy gets out a year before this and he starts committing crimes like this. This is a monster. He's a very dangerous individual, and police in Evansdale and Dayton, Iowa, thought that the Clunder case could be connected because of, obviously, the similarities between the two abductions. Mm -hmm. Two girls taken in daylight from a public place. Clunder spent some time in Brimmer County, where Seven Bridges was located in the 90s, so he may have been familiar with that Seven Bridges location. Well, look, we have evidence that this individual likes to drive, commit crimes and drive. So, you know, when he takes capture of these two girls, 90-minute drive, you say? Mm -hmm. And then the other one, we have... Um, 50 miles. Right. So this is an individual who's not afraid to commit a crime and then drive 
to different locations. Look, I said it when we covered Ted Bundy, you know, a long time ago. I, I reiterated that when we covered Ed Kemper. These serial killer types, and we don't know if numbers actually would put Clunder into the serial killer uh, category, mm-hmm. but it seems like he was going that direction. He, he kidnapped two girls that day. We know he's guilty of that. He killed one of them. But these serial killer types, their vehicle is one of their weapons and right. maybe one of their most important weapons. A lot of these guys do a lot of driving, a lot of trolling, a lot of hunting. I, I just think he, this guy is a very good suspect. I do too. Um, now they claim that he's not a good suspect anymore. Yeah, and it, here's the thing. When you see a suspect that, feels this good, feels like a, a possible connection. I want a little bit more of a reason why he's not. Well, and and I know they don't owe me that, but I'm I'm selfish. Well, here, here <laughs> here's my problem with their findings is is and again, we don't we, we only know so much. We don't even know if there's DNA that they matched or didn't match, and that's how they ruled him in or out. What what the statements they have given to the public or what I've heard is if you look at these crimes, yes, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of difference, and that's why we ruled him out. And my argument for that would be he takes one girl away to isolate her. He comes back. This is, again, what I believe. He comes back and finds that the other victim is gone. Okay, now everything has to be sped up. Now, did he kill the other girl before this happened or after? I'm not for sure. But, again, these things were sped up, and then he kills himself. So I I don't think you can look at the actual murder or the manner in which it was done and compare the two and say it was it, it's similar or different. So what you're referencing, Captain, is on May 14th, 2014, where DCI said they were, and this is this is their words here, they were pretty confident Michael Clunder was no longer a person of interest in the Evansdale case. Right. So here's what they're citing in this. They said that he did have an alibi for the day that the girls went missing, that he was at home in Stratford. And I don't know how many people are there at this home or what puts him there that they're, that they sound this confident in this alibi. Now, one thing we should note though, Stratford is about a hundred miles away from Evansdale. Yeah. That's not that far though. No, not not with how much this guy seems to like to drive. And then, as you pointed out, they stated there were forensic differences between the two cases. That's an interesting choice of words, because with all the information that they're holding back in the Evansdale case, they can't clearly come out and tell us exactly what those forensic differences are, because that could be showing their hand in the Evansdale case. So where we don't know if we have DNA, suspect DNA in the Evansdale case, if they do and they compared it to Clunder's DNA and they don't get a match, well, that technically would be a forensic difference, but you don't want to say that out to the public and let them know that you have DNA. Remember, they're holding back just as much in this Evansdale case as they are in the Delphi case and other cases that are similar to this.
If you're looking for more True Crime Garage, go download the Stitcher app. It is free, and you can listen to all of our old episodes on the Stitcher app. You can go all the way back to the beginning. Hell, we have almost 400 episodes you can choose from. And if that's not enough, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. That's exclusively on Stitcher Premium. All right, we're back. This case, I mean, this, you know, I've heard of it before, but to spend the time and dive into it, it's it's very complex and and it's, it's very confusing. Well, and it's one of those cases where we have enough information to lead us to more questions. And we're sitting here now spinning our tires trying to answer some of those questions. But it's an intriguing case. It's one that I'm very confident that they're still very active with, and we'll get into to some of that as we go. And before we leave you today, we will give you the tip number if anybody should have any information or thoughts that they want to pass along to the proper authorities. On August 21st, 2014, more than two years after Lyric and Elizabeth were killed, Evansdale Police held a press conference announcing a new website dedicated to the girl's case. And I used some of that for my note taking when doing research for this case. Part of this website, Captain, discusses the likely characteristics of the killer because law enforcement developed a profile of sorts with the help of the FBI's behavioral analysis unit who believed that the killer was a single individual, stating he was familiar with both Myers Lake in Evansdale and Seven Bridges Wildlife Area in Bremer County. He likely selected Seven Bridges as a dumping ground because he was familiar with the area and knew it was secluded. According to the profile, the offender blends in with the community at large and may be a resident of Black Hawk or Bremer counties. He likely used quiet coercion to subdue the girls and coerce them into leaving with him using a ruse or threats of violence. Like you pointed out, the cousins were possibly the victims of opportunity seized by someone who had expressed interest in underage girls and possibly had attempted abductions in the past. Finally, the suspect likely altered his appearance and or cleaned, painted or disposed of his vehicle after the abduction. Right, but this this profile matches Clunder. Right, they just described Michael Clunder. Yeah, so I, I I just really am interested to know what they had that 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 points away from him. I agree with you, Captain. I cannot shake this suspect. I can't I can't get him off of my list because he just seems too good. He seems to fit too well with what we believe we're looking for. And very violent. Yeah, history of violence. Also, uh, the same victimology mm-hmm. that we would see in both cases. He doesn't mind. Look, a lot of offenders are looking for that opportunity to find a vulnerable, a person that's in a vulnerable position and alone. Mm-hmm. A lot of offenders will be turned off when they cannot find a potential victim by themselves. He 
seems have to to be able to overstep that obstacle. We know that for a fact because he took two girls who are walking home from school. It might be a, a part of his M.O. And he used quiet coercion, right? Just like they described in the profile. Mm-hmm. And that's really what these offenders and these perpetrators want to do when they're trying to get somebody in their vehicle, be it an adult or a child. You don't want screaming. You don't want a violent altercation to have to go down because what does that create? It creates ear witnesses and eyewitnesses, and that's bad for your business. His business is getting the victim into his vehicle sight unseen, and that can be done by offering to pay them for mowing lawns or, as you said, waving a gun in the face with threatening, you know, th- with threatening violence toward them. We do have some, you know, just when this case can't get any more strange, we did get two confessions over the years, people who alleged that they were responsible for killing the girls. Here, but, here's what we should start doing from now on. If you uh, confess to a crime that you didn't commit, we just put you in jail. You get for, 30 days just for fun. No, no, no. You you get whatever that crime would entail. So if if it's murder... And you confess to it, and we know you're lying. You still get thirty years. Just lock you up, because because it makes zero sense. I don't understand. Well, but th- the problem with that is, it, often it's somebody with some pretty severe mental issues. Okay, right, right. They right. come forward. Or you could put them in in a hospital. Usually, these people need some kind of treatment that they're in a bad place mm-hmm. and they're confessing to something that they they weren't even capable of doing. And I mean that from on many different levels. Well, and that's the importance. These are not bad people. They're not evil people. They're just, they're confused because of uh, of their illness. Right. But the, the that's where law enforcement holding things close to the vest is important because when these individuals come forward, then they, they can match certain things up. And if your story doesn't line up or or the evidence doesn't match your story, we know that you're you're lying. Right. And unfortunately, hundreds of years ago, we would have just hung the person or a lesser police department would have went ahead and put this person in, in jail or taken them to trial. Well, but some sometimes with these crimes, let's look at like John Benet Ramsey. We've had so many people come forward and confess. Well, there's so much information out there. It's really hard to, okay, they got this wrong or they got this wrong. Well, what if they only got a couple things wrong? You go, well, did they just misremember that? Or, or are they really not the killer? And this is pretty common, especially when you have a case that's like famous on the state level. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amy Mahalovic that we've covered several times, there were multiple people that confessed to, to her murder. And we have every reason to believe that none of them actually killed her. One of the guys confessed in the middle of church. He got up on a Sunday morning and started marching up and down the, the aisles, mm-hmm. confessing to the whole congregation that he had killed Amy Mahal. That, now, that's a weird that's a weird church experience right there. Beyond weird. Right. Yeah. Put a few extra bucks in the collection plate for the theatrics for that day. Now, we, let's get into another good suspect. Now that we're past the two confessions that, that don't go anywhere, there's no validity to those confessions. Yeah, and, and when you go over the suspect, it's almost like you're making this up. Jeff Altmeyer. 
Yeah. Yeah. So in late 2016, Iowa authorities received a report of an attempted abduction. A man pretending to be an undercover police officer Mm -hmm. tried to lure a young girl into his car. This is one of the more bright spots in this whole story. And let me go through this in, in good detail here. So the girl tells her parents and police uh, that, okay, so she's she's going through the, the neighborhood. This shit bag, right? What's that? Mm, this shit bag. Yes. Yes. Mm. So, so she tells her parents about this attempted abduction, right? Her neighbor and some brothers run out and they can still see the guy's vehicle. She gave yeah, he, a description of the vehicle to to her parents and to these these guys. Yeah, he was still in the neighborhood. He was just leaving the neighborhood. So they get in a vehicle and they start chasing after him. And there's a really good article about this in the Des Moines Register that that I recommend. But what what it ends up being here, Captain, is this pervert was 58-year-old married father of two, Jeff Altmeyer. Mm-hmm. He was arrested and charged with enticing a minor and impersonating a public official. Yeah, but what's interesting is he has a, a little tiny Ford Focus, so they easily catch up with him. <laughs> right. And, and then they're yelling at him, and then this guy is threatening them, saying he's law enforcement, and you better you know leave me alone. The, the coolest thing of this is, and I don't have the guy's name in front of me, but the kind of the leader of the, of the group of guys chasing after this man, mm-hmm. after the pervert man in the silver little Ford Focus. Bag of shit. Mm-hmm. This is a younger dude. Like he looks to me like he's like 18 or 19 years old and he's not put off by any of the things that this Jeff Altmeyer is saying to him because they pull up window to window. Yeah. And he's not like, you know, pardon me, do you have any gray poupon? He's like, mm. did you try to kidnap a girl? Yeah, and you the, sick fuck. And the guy's like, he's like, no, I didn't. And I, I'm an undercover cop. And thinking mm-hmm. that that's just going to end this situation. Yeah. To which he then, Altmeyer says to, to this guy that's chasing him, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to beat you up. So he then says, "Okay, get out of your car." Yeah. And Altmeyer's like, "Nope, I don't I don't want to get out of my car." To which he then says again, "I'm undercover police trying to scare these guys off." The guy Just says, "Just think if you could get your hands on somebody like that, you'd beat his ass." The the guy says to Altmeyer, he says, "Um, that's fine. One of my relatives is in law enforcement and they're on their way." Yeah. And we've called the cops and we're going to we're all going to sit here and in a few minutes, we're all going to find out the truth. Yeah. So what this leads to is Jeff Altmeyer obviously being arrested and charged with enticing a minor, impersonating a public official. Once police had Altmeyer in custody, they started to connect other abductions and attempted abductions to him. It turned out that Altmeyer had been trying to lure kids into his vehicle for months, if not possibly longer. His modus operandi was to entice children by offering them $100 to get in his van or his vehicle. I'm sorry. Once they did, he would molest them or attempt to. He eventually succeeded in sexually abusing at least two girls. Yeah, but what was his job? 
Didn't he have a, a, dro- a job where he traveled around? That's the scary thing. He was a traveling, he worked as a traveling automobile damage field inspector, which means he spent a lot of time in his vehicle or what might be his work vehicle, which could have been a van right, so driving me- around. This is, I. it sounds to me, Captain, like he drove around in multiple states. Now, I wonder if he's always using his own vehicle or if there's a company vehicle. But what you're saying is that two cars get in an accident the insurance company's called at some point his job is to go out there and look at the damage go out and assess the situation so he make a ruling right but insurance are are normally just uh the laws only apply to that state like if you even if you live on the border you know like that's true so he probably only works in iowa but he probably works all over iowa well but the the information i have says driving around areas of the midwest which makes me believe it might be multiple states but all in all regardless of where he's driving police were able to link altmeyer to 19 that's one nine one short of 20 such incidents in nine different counties as stated in the des moines register between may 31st 2016 and november 16th 2016 Altmeyer is suspected of trying to entice at least 19 children. He sexually abused two of them. His victims were all girls with the average age. We talked about victimology here with the average age of 10, but he went after kids as young as six and as old as 13. Right. But these are the ones we know of. I mean, there could be way more that, that we don't know of. Well, there's one possible, case that 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 was unsuccessful for altmeyer thank god where he's he's trying to get somebody into the vehicle uh child enticement case from cedar falls which was only about 12 miles from evansdale Mm -hmm. so if you want to try to link him as close as you can to our case that's about as close as we can we can place him or suspect him to be a man reportedly approached three young girls in that situation at a park in Cedar Falls and offered them money to get into his car. He's not been charged in that actual enticement case because he can't prove that it was actually him, mm-hmm. but they suspect that it is. They continue to investigate a, this there, guy. Right. And what I'm saying is there could be a, another hundred cases of this creep. Yeah. One of the things after his arrest that they showed in some of the newspaper coverage of his arrest was these $100 bills. You know, he's, he's, that is his MO offering children $100 cash. Mm-hmm. He, they, they showed a picture of like, I don't know, 15, 20, $100 bills. He must've been keeping them on him, on him at all times. So that when he saw an opportunity, mm-hmm. he had the, the cash on him to, to try to that ruse on these, these poor kids. And I'm assuming he's working five days a week, but he's, so he's traveling five days a week and and way different parts of the state that we we're not aware of. You'd have to go back through his the cases that he was assigned to, but also just the surrounding areas. Cause how, how easy would it be for him to say, well, I got a flat tire or uh, I actually took the wrong route or I was at the scene longer than I thought it would be. Well, and he was actually just driving around as a sick predator. And I think that people would be quick to point out, like, look, he's he's got all these other cases. 
And it seems like he's let the kids go all the time. We don't know. Could something else have gone down? Something unexpected and knee-jerk reaction. He killed one of the two girls and then had to kill the second one. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to fit. You know, there are these one-off cases. There are murders that take place when people are really just trying to cover up other bad behavior. And one thing that made him very interesting to law enforcement and to, to me and to us uh, garage guys here as well, we touched upon in the first episode how how rare it is to try to abduct multiple children at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, we know of several cases where that is in fact what Altmeyer was trying to do. So again, he's already stepped over that obstacle, that potential obstacle. In February of 2018, Jeff Altmeyer was sentenced to first degree, sentence for first degree kidnapping, second degree sexual abuse, and two counts of enticing a minor in Jasper County. He got life in prison and his wife of several decades has divorced him since he's gone away to prison. Well, that's what I meant by this guy to me when I was reading about this case, I go, this guy seems BTK like guy that was married. Oh yeah. Seems like a normal guy. And always thinking and planning these things out in advance. Yeah. Or, well, actually putting yourself in that position. I mean, it could have been the reason why he took the job without getting too much into it because there's a lot, a lot of little details there, but I want to circle back to the family. We were talking about Dan Morrissey and his legal troubles. And remember, he was still facing a trial at the time that his daughter went missing. Eventually, he ends up getting 90 years in prison for his charges. So he's that's where he is to this day. And Misty, his wife, she continued for a, a little bit of time to be in and out of trouble. Look, the, the drug angle of the Lyric and Elizabeth investigation does not appear to have led anywhere. Apparently it's a st- still a working theory in the case. Personally, I feel captain, like I have a little bit of an issue with this theory. And part of that being, I see the efforts put forward and how many different agencies were working together on this case. I kind of feel like if that were what was going on here, I kind of feel like it would have been solved by now that that would have been an easy, that would have been an easy thing to investigate for them because it's the circle and the possibilities of suspects is much smaller than what we are probably facing. In my opinion, what, what appears to me to be more of a stranger abduction, right? But just because it's easier to investigate doesn't mean it's easier to prove and that, to bring charges against somebody that you have to be able to prove that they could, that they did this. Now, many people are probably recognizing that this case has a lot of similarities to another case that we've covered on true crime garage with numerous episodes. And that being the Delphi double murder case that took place in February of 2017. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do internet searches and be looking around, snooping around on either one of these cases without bumping into to the other. 
Now, some of the the possible similarities or things that I believe seem similar, and some of these just seem a little too much to be coincidental. But so we have two cases that involve the abduction and murder of two young girls in Midwest towns. Now, the towns are 400 miles apart. Both cases occurred on or near recreational trails, but also in areas where the girls were not supposed to be or not known to frequent. Both cases occurred in the middle of the day in broad daylight. Both cases occurred on the 13th of the month. Delphi was on a Monday and Evansdale was on a Friday. The dates are palindromes too, which I never would have picked up on that, but my friend just pointed that out to me. Them being the same backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. 2, 13, 17, and 7, 13, 12. 2, 1, 3, 1, 7, 7, 1, 3, 1, 2. In both cases, the bodies were found in remote areas that investigators believe required someone to be familiar with that part of the area, with those specific areas. Both sets of investigators stopped short of declaring the offender uh, to definitely be a local. In both cases, a close family member had ties to the drug world and rumors flew that drug connections were responsible. Well, in both cases, very, very small towns, very low populations. Yeah, neither case is the cause has the cause and manner of death of the victims been known to the public, nor is it known whether there was sexual assault. So we can't really compare some of the more important aspects of the killer's M.O. in these two cases. And of course, there are significant differences between the cases as well. We do have authorities on the record stating that they do not believe that the two are related. Yeah, I think they're too far apart for one. Um, We also, in this case, in the Evansdale case, the victims were moved or taken, maybe brought to a different location and and then... 22 miles away from where the body, from Mm. the distance between the bodies and the bikes. We don't know if somebody took them somewhere else before that. Uh, Delphi, it's really tough because the new research that I've come across and we've talked about this is there's now a debate if they were murdered in that spot and left in that spot or if those bodies were moved, uh, but they weren't moved 22 miles. I've heard plenty of law enforcement statements in, in regards to Delphi that the two girls were killed where they were found. And then when we go and we take a look at the Evansdale case, we really have no clue how many different locations they could have been before they were found at Seven Bridges. And as you pointed out, how long they may have been kept by whoever took them. We do have some thoughts by the family members. Now, keep in mind, the family has chosen not to know how the girls were killed. But we have at least one family member who is on record saying it's of their belief that the girls were alive when they were when they were brought to Seven Bridges and then killed in that location. 
I don't think that there's a lot that they're basing this off of other than them knowing the area, having been to the area and really just their suspicions. My guess would be that it's, it's an area that's not easily traveled on foot from where you would have to leave a vehicle, thus just making it difficult to transport one body, let alone two bodies. In 2017, authorities had interviewed over 1,000 people in Lyric and Elizabeth's case. Nonetheless, the murders remain unsolved. The deaths of the girls wreaked havoc on their families. And people in Evansdale say the town has never been the same. Drew Collins said in an interview that the deaths of the girls devastated the town. Drew continues to assist in cases of missing children, even having reached out to Mike and Becky Patty in the Delphi case to let them know he was there if they needed anything. Also similar to Delphi, Evansdale has turned a small island at Myers Lake into a dedicated memorial called Angels Park Memorial Island. It features memorials to the girls and other female victims of violence in Iowa, as well as gazebos, memorial brick walkways, murals, and decorative landscaping. This was an expansion of the 2013 announcement that the trail and park at Myers Lake would be renamed to honor the memory of Lyric and Elizabeth. The trail that runs around the lake is now known locally as the Trail of Angels. There is a substantial reward for information leading to a conviction in this case, and tips can be submitted by calling 855-300-TIPS. That's 1-855-300-8477. On the seventh anniversary of the girl's abduction, authorities reminded us that there are still several agencies that are actively working this case. The Evansdale Police Department, the Black Hawk County and Bremer County Sheriff's Offices, and the FBI, saying they get together regularly to review information and evidence and evaluate new information. Drew Collins tells interviewers that he remains confident that the investigators are working hard on his daughter's case and that eventually they will catch the guy who did it. Let's hope he is right. Hey, I want to thank everybody for joining us in the garage, but I want to thank everybody that's been sharing our show with their friends on social media, especially on Instagram stories. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Captain. And we also want to say check out the new book, Murder in Macomb. This case started when the body of 12-year-old Tina Marie Andrews was found underneath a discarded sofa in the woods outside of Macomb, Mississippi. She was last seen accepting a ride at a local teenage hangout. To this day, the case is unsolved. Trent Brown's book, Murder and Macomb, is the only comprehensive examination of this case. You don't have to write that title down. Just go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.